my goodness. I mean, what a welcome expose on just how corrupt Wall Street is. Upon the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time high. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this planet? <laughs> Welcome to Live from the Vault. And as you can imagine, the Live from the Vault community keeps growing bigger and bigger. And we thank you from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide. And wow, do we have a great episode for you today. You know, Andrew's market update has been pushed back to next Friday so that we can bring you this very special Hollywood blockbuster special. You're not going to want to miss any part of this. We're going to be talking to the director and producer of a brand new documentary film that's about to come out this weekend. It's called The Paradigm of Money. Now, The Paradigm of Money goes deep into the infrastructure of the global financial system and exposes corrupted policies, creating a path for money to be transferred from the middle class to the 1%. And the 1% now hold more wealth than the entire middle class. Unbelievable. We're here uh, to talk about this new film launching that's going to happen this weekend. You're not going to want to miss it, like I said, and you'll find all the details of this brand new film on how to watch it. Uh, just look for the link below in the details below. Again, you're not going to want to miss any part of this episode. Fasten your seatbelts. Now, if you're in the LA area this weekend, then they're going to be doing a Q&A, and tickets are available right now. Again, look for the information below. And just before we get to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, please keep spreading the word about this channel by liking, sharing, and smash that subscribe button. And then click on the bell notification if you want to be notified as these episodes go live. So with that, let's head over to the UK and Talking Gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special Hollywood guests over to you, Andrew. Well, thanks, Shane, for the introduction. Today is a real special one. Um, I think, you know, we've got, we've got two people here that uh, you're probably going to know and heard of. Um, Pete Andico uh, and Sean, and Sean uh, Stone. Uh, I think Sean probably needs very little introduction. Uh, Pete Andico, look, he's, he's, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've come across things he's been in. Um, and he consulted, for example, in Oliver Stone's Wall Street 2. I mean, look, he's got a massive economic knowledge about how Wall Street, how these quintessential, quintessential hedge fund managers operate. And, and that's a very kind word uh, for, <laughs> for what these guys do. Um, but I think what we're, what we're looking to do today is to uh, give you a chance to preview a fantastic movie which is just about to launch. And I think, um, so really, I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm very, very proud and honored uh, to call Pete a friend. Uh, it's nice to meet Sean. And um, look, I'm really excited about this upcoming movie, guys. Uh, I did get a preview of it. Thank you for that. And my goodness, I mean, what a welcome expose on just how corrupt Wall Street is. And then I was pleased to be able to contribute uh, my experience as a whistleblower. Uh, I've provided, you know, providing evidence of, to the CFTC, the regulators. Hey, where were they today? Uh, and uh, DOJ, price rigging in the gold markets is what we were representing. But most of all, Pete and Sean, what I love about this movie is how it casts the net out to a really wide audience, maybe an audience that we wouldn't normally touch, uh, certainly from our live from the vault side of things. And uh, I think it, as market participants, I think our job is to deal with Wall Street corruption on it. You know, we deal with it on a day to day basis. But this movie is, to me, a chance to peel back the covers for everybody to see. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. You know, perhaps you could tell us um, a little about the journey, uh, Pete, uh, that that really inspired you to uh, bring Sean in and, and and to make this movie. Can you tell us what what was this? What, tell us about the journey. Well, you know what happened. I've been in, involved in uh, in uh, finance, macroeconomics, and finance in the commodities market. My father got me in 
involved in that when I was uh, young. He invested in gold in the 70s, and uh, I think he made about 150 in uh, 50,000 at the time, which was huge money in there. And he was listening to a guy named James Dines, and and Dines never said to get out when Volcker raised the rates. So I think he gave more than half of it back. <laughs> so he did because he was learning. So he, you know, you know, he got me involved. I started, uh, you know, at you know economics in school, but he had me started to read Richard Russell from Dow Theory, you know, re- you know, religiously. Then way back when I started uh, listening to the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, uh, you know, Bill Murphy uh, and Chris Powell. And all of the brilliant articles before this was came out, and you couldn't find this stuff on the mainstream. The mainstream would just give you the garbage. I mean, Kitco had a guy named John Nadler who really couldn't pick his mother out of a carload of sheep. I mean, the bottom line is that this guy, this guy was supposed to be the you know head economist at, at Kitco, and all he would do is talk negatively about precious metals, about gold, and he was. You know, I, th- I don't know. He might have been right once out of a th- uh, hundred times about anything he ever said. And um, but Kitco had the only site where they had a bunch of, you know, known people that were pretty good uh, uh, economists or that, that deal in commodities. Uh, so I used to go there and then I found King World News. And, you know, I used to read John Embry from Sprout Asset Management. Um, you know, way, way, way back in the day. So, I mean, and I, and I found Richard Russell the most fascinating. Robert Rhea created Dow Theory. Richard Russell picked it up. He had the largest financial newsletter in the world, bar none. Uh, people used to read them all over the country. And it's a, it's a very interesting uh, economic, you know, theory that you base the transportation average, you know, and the, and, and the Dow in correlation to if they're both above their 50 and 200-day moving averages, it's a bull market. And if they're below those two averages... It's a bear market, and if there's if there one's higher and one's lower, one's above and one is not, it's a non-confirmation. And he would look at you know other issuances. You know, they'd look at the dry, Baltic Dry Index uh, for the shipping lanes to see if they're shipping goods all over the world, or he used Walmart as a proxy for the retail holders index to see if there people were actually spending money. Because if that was below its 200-day and 50-day, it would just basically mean that discretionary spending. Uh, was lower the the velocity of money was slowing down and the you know that was trouble for the economy so if you looked a lot of little markers you could tell if the market was healthy or the breadth of the market was healthy or it was weak <clears throat> and and he made these calls you know way, way back when and got re- a lot of notoriety and he was a, a very uh, kind gentleman I think he was a I think he was a, a great teacher and then there's people in the market, like I used to read Stephen Roach from Morgan Stanley. Um, at the time, Bill Gross from PIMCO, <clears throat> Mohammed Elran. They, they had all these really, you know, good, you know, people in uh, that were, I thought, were pretty astute. <clears throat> but in the, in, you know, in the gold, gold world, I first found you, you know, when, you know, the whistleblower, there was a uh, an article that said someone tried to run you over in a car. And I'm thinking, what? <clears throat> well, you know, what happened? Uh so I wrote it out I wrote an outline I wrote an outline of a of a finance film and that with Sean about 8 years ago and I've always wanted to do a uh, a film uh, an in-depth film on the infrastructure of, of the financial system. So Sean called me one day and he says uh, hey Pete you want to direct a finance movie? I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and uh <laughs> able to put that together and uh, obviously, you know, his, his father did Wall Street and Wall Street Two, and uh, Sean grew up in the in the uh, film business. He went to Princeton. Very astute. Um, I worked with him on several occasions before, but um, you know we're both interested in uh, in exposing truth, you know, in the world that protects people because people should have transparency in everything that we do. And and in the financial markets, it appears to be, it appears to be a cloak. It, it, there's different rules for the people on, on Wall Street than there are on the people with the people on Main Street. It's a totally different, you know, paradigm uh, of investing. I mean, you, you really have to be extremely not knowledgeable or you, you know, you have to have an inside line. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's all about good information um, and it coming from an honest face. And 
And, you know, with the right information, people can make wise decisions on how they can, especially how they can employ or even protect their wealth uh, from the crooks running this multi-trillion dollar game that we're about to get a preview of. Um, would it be okay to, to, to play that now? And uh, so everyone can have a, a look at this. Sure. When we have a monetary definition of economy, we fail to assess the all-in consequences of the actions that we take. The U.S. economy is reliant on this financial fraud to generate what they call GDP. Naked shorting simple version is a seller sells stock that they don't have to a buyer who sees it in their account electronically but it hasn't been delivered and the buyer gives the seller money, we call that stealing. We can't continue to have a system where Wall Street executives privatize all the gains and then socialize the losses. They create the drugs, they deal the drugs, they have no impunity for anything that might become negative as a result of that. Great job wasting my time. If you're going to filibuster, you should run for the Senate. We certainly have a legal system that really favors the wealthy over the common person. I, this is not some opinion. This is a mathematical fact. Tens of trillions of dollars are being extracted from the United States of America. If their goal was to try to force as many small businesses out of business, they would do what they've done. They can't legislate its way out of a box. Give me all the subsidies. I can make $16 billion. Actually, a trained monkey can make $16 billion. I think the gold price is rigged. One ounce of gold is underpinning 100 ounces of paper derivatives. The Fed is doing quantitative easing to infinity, printing money to oblivion. We're seeing a new global monetary standard, which will be Bitcoin. They're nuts! They know nothing! And that's why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Wow, guys. I mean, um, who, how could you not want to be watching this movie? Um, when, when's it coming out? When are you actually launching it and how? We're opening it. It's open December 3rd at the Lemley Theater in uh, NoHo, North Hollywood, California, right in front of the Television Academy uh, to qualify for the Academy. It's an Academy Award qualifying screening. Then we're going to open up on, on our, our platform at uh, the, the paradigmofmoneyfilm.com. Uh, and where, where you can then, uh, you can get it live streaming. And, uh, we have some, you know, obviously including yourself, we have some in, incredible people, uh, that we interviewed, uh, Daniel Martino Booth, who you all know, who, you know, from, uh, used to work at the Houston Fed for Fisher and, uh, Lehman Brothers before that and runs Quill Intelligence, Nomi Prince, best-selling author. And a former, well, actually one of the first women managing directors at Goldman Sachs, uh, wrote two bestsellers, Collusion and All the Presidents, you know, Bankers. And Jim Rickards, we have Jim, who wrote three different bestsellers. And uh, Jim was really fun. I, I, I like to call him the professor because, you know, he's, he's very uh, knowledgeable about, you know, about the history uh, of finance and uh He's got a you know very interesting you know points is points of view. I mean he he always comes at things you know very pragmatically, but uh, he's always fa you know fascinated fascinating to listen to. Um, Grant Williams, we had uh, Grant Williams, who's been you know around forever, who's extremely astute, you know in the in the money management world for for years and years and years. It was a, a pleasure to uh, to have Grant. Uh, on he's got a podcast called Things That Go Hum in the Night, <laughs> and then the illustrious Max Kaiser. Uh, I love Max. Max is a it, Max is is like a a rock star of 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 finance economics and uh, probably the most prevalent voice in the on the planet in regard to Bitcoin. Um, and you know he I mean I mean you know he's probably has more wealth than 10 of the last sitting presidents put together. Uh, he's a very, very bright, bright, bright guy. And uh, he's not afraid to, to, to speak his mind. He's, he certainly has called him, him any bad actor out for any kind of frauds uh, that they've committed in Wall Street. I mean, uh, he did a, 
uh, a show called France 24 back in the day, 10 or 11, and he was just le- unleashing on uh, on Goldman Sachs and the and the people that ran the financial system, uh, you know, at the Fed and the Treasury for all kinds of illicit behavior that basically uh, created a wealth transfer, you know, from the middle class, you know, back into the into the 1%. We also have a gentleman uh, that I think is brilliant named Edward Seidel. Edward Seidel was a, uh, used to be an SEC attorney. Um, he's uh, an expert in the field of forensic accounting as well. And he was the, the largest whistleblower. He, he, what he does is he uh, investigates pension and health plans. He's probably the most prevalent attorney in the, uh, in the country. He wrote a book with Robert Kiyosaki called Who Stole My Pension? that uh, became our other bestseller. And he, he speaks about the pension, the, the, the issues with the, with the public pension plans and the, and the private pension plans that are currently prevalent all across America. I mean, it's a $5 trillion you know, business uh, that sometimes uh, gets co-opted by, you know, by fees, excess fees in, uh, in money management. So he, he basically explains how that works because in, 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 in pension funds, you have to create a 7%, 7% on your investment to make them work. And with the bond market trading over negative 4% of real rates, they have to make 9% in equities and 5% in fixed income. They never, they're, never, they're nowhere near that in fixed income. And the, most of the money managers that deal in, uh, with pension funds are mostly in fixed income and they're too conservative. Uh, now, since they're behind the eight ball, they're trying to get into exotic investments that are very dangerous, you know, for the average blue-collar worker that's worked for 30 to 50 years and, and you know, wants to have their retirement protected. I think that's in jeopardy uh, with the current financial policy by the Fed. What do you think? Well, absolutely. And, and you just touched on some very important things there. I mean, obviously, we're in the gold, uh, the gold, the real money um, phase, uh, real honey, money world, uh, which is gold, silver, um, and, and obviously has no counterparty risk. And, and what, what, what I'm finding is you've just touched on negative real rates. Yeah, I mean, and if we were to really look at the proper stats, I think the numbers, you've just, the negative rates you just talked about are probably very conservative. And that is bringing in, and this is the interesting part, is bringing in a huge amount of competing central bank, sovereign, uh, physical gold buying, physical gold buying, uh, smart money is buying physical. And what do we see on a day like today? We see 800 tonnes of gold cleared uh, an, an hour and a half ago in London every day, the same thing. Well, three to five tonnes get physically delivered. Um, and, you, you know, 9,000 odd tonnes of gold cleared, silver cleared every day. I mean, come on, you know, what is the point of the The point of this is... There's so much paper swirling around this whole Wall Street world. And I think one of the things I think that when you talk, you're talking about statistics here, talking about numbers, we're talking about the Fed. But, you know, if we draw back for a millisecond, what you're about to touch, you're about to touch, you and Sean are about to touch people who are driving a taxi, who are are driving a bus, who are everyday people who are looking at this and thinking, Holy smoke, this is, you know, I need, I need to know this stuff because, you know, talking about the concept of short selling, I mean, yeah, we can get down into the weeds about it, but what about just the co- understanding the concept of short selling and, and how that can be abused and, and how, you know, maybe you get a firm, a, a small company issue a million shares and suddenly 10 million shares get sold short and 250 employees get fired, um, you know, lose their jobs. And then it progresses to, hey, that worked. How about a big corporation? Oh, that worked. How about a country like Greece? You know, this is the, this is the I think, one of the things that really turns me on about what you are doing here. I think, um, you know, uh, the key, you know, to this was crafting a story, which Sean was really instrumental in, uh, making it palatable. You know, because when I first did it, it was a bit too intellectual. And Sean came in, nope. 
it can't be for someone like me and you talking finance. It's got to be. It's got to be something. So I'm going to let Sean talk about about that process. Yeah, Sean, please. Uh, making it relatable certainly. Um, I think this is this is something that uh, again, it's the, they call it the dismal science economics. They call it the dismal science for a reason, right? Um, most people don't want to sit here and just talk uh, talk numbers. I mean, there obviously there are plenty of people you know in your in you know, who are fascinated by, by Wall Street and the, uh, you know, the whole concept of the, you know, the market nature of buying and selling and, you know, uh, the, the people getting in there and, and being speculators. Now we have the apes, right, who are sort of ju- jumping into this world and, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and use and how do you say, and, and trying to alter and affect um, stock prices. Um, but when I, what I wanted, I guess, when I look at the situation, um, I was very much informed growing up because I came out of the 2008 time period, right? As a, coming out of college with 2007, 2008, literally like that was on my doorstep when I, when I exited college and I was part of that generation that essentially um, realized, wow, this whole growth that, you know, economic growth that uh, the, the boomer generation basically was born into and took for granted in many ways, the boom of the uh, post-war years, right? Since World War II had made America the strongest physical manufacturer on the planet. And it was based in that physical economy that gave us really the world that we have have enjoyed to this day, right? Everything from the conditions, you know, the, the computing, the air, the air conditioning, the, uh, the, you know, the quality of life that we, t- that we basically, for the most part, in, you know, in America and the Western world take for granted, right? Um, is, is born of physical economy. And, and then, you know, basically we, we saw that, that growth. We saw obviously in the eighties, my dad did wall street to really show the speculative economy of, of, of these type ty- these tycoons and, uh, you know, people like the Gordon Gecko is basically a personification of, uh, Ivan Bosky and others, right. Who basically are going in there and taking over companies and, and ripping them apart. But that was, it was symptomatic as you know, of the, of the overall idea that money trumps physical economy. You know, we can profit from destroying companies, you know, t- t- tearing them apart, shipping off, um, shipping off the machine tool sector to Mexico or Vietnam or you name it, right, to some, some third world country to build it cheaper. And so as a result, I believe, of that whole um, speculative boom, essentially you got to this place where by the 2000s, they, were turn- they had to basically inflate the, the housing market to kind of keep the economy going to pay for this, you know, as we know, right, $3 trillion in the Iraq war and Afghanistan wars, estimated $3 trillion, probably more, but, they, you know, that was like all this money being spent. How do you keep it going? How do you keep America going? We got to keep fueling it with this, with, with debt, right, essentially, and the market, housing market was a major aspect of it, but people like Lyndon LaRouche, basically, and, and others were saying, look, this is going to explode, and I was looking at that and watching it in real time as 2007, 2008 comes, the Great Recession, the, the, the collapse of people's um, actually, you know, overall, I guess you could say that their overall um, assets, you know, were devalued, the, the, the scare, the, the scare that we all faced of where we're going to work, you know, how, you know, people, it was like articles, you know, you came out of college and you're working at Starbucks. I mean, it was like, it was very real, that feeling of there's not a future for us as millennials, um, the same way that, you know, there was for our parents and our parents were like, well, go get a job. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's easy for you to say, but you have to realize that, you know, the actual, uh, real wage from 1970 is, is not, has not grown, <laughs> you know, since that time period. Right. And you're, you're basically, you know, as we know, like they're talking about inflation and whatnot, but literally, I mean, you just look at it, how much are you paying for everything from, uh, electric, electricity, insurance, uh, housing, next thing you know, it's like, you have no money saved. You have no ability to save money in that, in that kind of modality. So, um, I came at that, at this, from that perspective of let's help people to understand how the system works, how basically it siphons off from the working class and the middle class, especially we've seen the middle class shrinking. And it's now really before our eyes in this past year. It's like the, we thought 2008 was the biggest wealth transfer in history. 2020 was an even greater wealth transfer, right? Now 1%, the 1% in America has more wealth than the entirety of the middle class, which is just a shocking thing, right? But again, we was like trying to really just focus Peter on let's make this relatable to the to the you know the working class and middle class people that are not necessarily engaged. Maybe they're getting more interested in stock speculation because of things like Robinhood. But let's make this palatable to like how this system works and how it's basically a parasitic system. And how how does it th- this wealth transfer happen? It's it's interesting. So they have 
um, 2008, uh, you know, fueled by um, deregulation and, and, and derivatives and poor monetary policy. Then you go to the COVID crisis. And in the COVID crisis, if our government really wanted to help people, they would have frozen all debt obligations. I mean, why do you freeze uh, debt obligations for renters and not landlords? So you, you want to take property from landlords and you have commercial property that's 20% in uh, occupied. So they're 80% in default, bleeding billions of dollars a month. All the moratoriums or all the forbearances on home loans now two months ago uh, got stopped because that was good for about 13 or 14 months, I think. So if you were going to help people, why not freeze it off the board? And if you really cared about people's health, why why don't you give everyone universal health care? But it, it seems like the system, the parasitic system, uh, you know, keeps on it keeps on running. So, and, and by the way, the apes that Sean was talking about is the is the Reddit, the Wall Street betters that uh, the original meme stocks. Um, I just want to clear that up for some uh, for some people. But it, it it's a you know, it's a completely, you know, different world. I mean, look, I mean, the real estate market's up almost 30% in the last two years alone. I mean, we've never seen that ever in the United States of America, you know, and, and that's fueled by, you know, weak monetary policy. You, if you continually have rates at, at zero and the Fed funds rates at zero to zero two point two five, I mean, you basically you know, have have a fixed income market that's worthless and you're losing over 4% having that in the bank. So the Fed's borrowing money at a discount and they get to borrow money at a negative 4%. But how does that affect Main Street price inflation? As you, you know, if you keep pr- pr- printing dollars, even though, hey, the dollar is going up, everybody goes, the dollar is getting stronger. You have to factor the rate of inflation. If the rate of inflation is going up higher than the, than the rate of the dollar, it's it's still negative interest rates it's still detrimental because how is someone on a fixed income going to uh, pay their bills when the value of the, the purchasing power of the dollars keep getting less and less and less? So, you know, and, and this is an issue because it's like wealth confiscation by way of inflation. So this, you know, you know, this has to be stopped. The only way to deal with it is that, you know, the people are doing hard assets or gold and silver and, and the crypto market only Bitcoin. Uh, they're doing the, there's three major things that people are doing. One being a, uh, the best digital asset in the world, bar none. And the other hard money, no counterparty risk. And, uh, the, you know, the reason I like physical gold is because physical gold has no counterparty risk. You, you dump it in a private vault and you're protected. The, they can't nationalize a mine. Nobody can go confiscate it that says I want the money for the government you know, and, and, or, a, or a mind can't go out of business, that, that there's no, you know, counterparty with it where, I mean, if you have capital in the bank, your counterparty is inflation, your counterparty is the financial institution, that it, you know, continues to remain solvent. How, how leveraged do you think the banking system is now, Andrew? How, how leveraged it is? I mean, to, to be honest, there's no statistics that actually are believable anymore. I mean, uh, so really when you've got a Fed that is really uh, ballooning a stock market where every single asset manager that you come across is really forced to competitively keep buying and buying and buying and buying, uh, or you get fired if you do, if you make a make the, the, the right choice, uh, perhaps, and do the logical thing and the, the, the pragmatic thing and to say, you know what, perhaps we should be hedging into gold, perhaps we should be hedging into. The trouble is that one person, when, when, if, if the whole thing blows up, uh, nobody gets fired. But if you make the right choice and it doesn't, and you're lagging the market because you're hedging, then you probably get fired. And, and this is a ludicrous situation that we've come across. And I think you're just talking about, and Sean's talking about making this palatable for the real world as well, which, which really comes close to my heart because Obviously, we're dealing in paper everything. We talk about paper gold, we talk about physical gold, but we also talk about paper. What about paper corn? You know, uh, and, there, and the, you know, there, there's some village in, in Africa and, and every month somebody comes in and buys their 50 kilos of, of corn and some idiot on, the, on Wall Street, just out of college, has pumped the price up beyond what he can afford. What does he do? He riots. 
it causes world global conflict. And I think this whole thing, um, you know, gold is to me, you know, the focus point because we see it every day. The footprints are so visible because we see as wholesalers, we see exactly. Look, if you want to buy physical gold right now and you want to buy a kilo bar, you're starting to order into, into, into 2022. Why the hell is, who the hell's dumping gold today? It's purely speculative. If you want silver right now, wholesale silver, you can move out. Some of our orders are going out to September of next year. Who the hell's dumping silver? This is one crooked game. And I think the, the beauty of this is, is that you're, not, you're, you're, you're cutting right across, not just us, what we focus on, but what other people you're bringing to, to education, to people who can say, hey, well, the first thing that I need to do understand is how do I protect my wealth? And, and, and to understand how to protect my wealth before I make any money, before anything else, I need to protect my wealth. And, you know, so really, I think this is one of the things where you, one of your guys says, I forget who it is, says, hey, you know, let's, what, what'll happen is in, in anything goes wrong, you know what, like in 2008, what we'll do is we'll privatize the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll privatize the profits, socialize the debt, and everyone else can suck it up. And we move again. And here we are again. And this movie comes out just at a point when this is about to go bigger and, and larger than ever we've seen. 2008 is pale in the rearview mirror compared to what's coming down the pike. Well, it's like you said, they, they privatize the gains, the corporations on or Wall Street, and socialize the losses. So they can make the money, but it, it, when they go awry, then they get backstopped um, by the Fed. And like you said, on the 22nd, uh, some entity dumped $1.25 billion uh, of gold onto the marketplace, uh, you know, in, in a few minutes. And it actually, it was, less than, it was less than one minute. So, uh, you know, how does that happen? Because, I mean, the S&P futures trade less than $150 million in each of the same periods in a market that's five times as large as Comex Gold. So is it, isn't that on a radar? I mean, the, like the, the SEC has been asleep at the wheel. I mean, the translation to that is 40 times the weight being pushed around in the gold market, you know, relative to its open interest market cap than the S&P. So why is it on the, on the radar? How come that doesn't get investigated? I mean, what is the, the, the CFTC doing or the, the chair of the CFTC doing? That doesn't make a, a lot of sense. I mean, um, at the time now they had, they used to have Bart Chilton who was good and now they have what I think Gary Gensler um, is in who's a, a very smart gentleman, but he has at, at actually never done anything about you know these concentrated shorts um, that, that really are quite nefarious. You, you, you've nailed it, Pete. It's, it's about con it's position concentration amongst just a very few entities that that enables all of these games to to continue and you talk about comex gold but we, it's i even don't want to call it gold it's not gold really is it i mean it's it's just it's electronic it's an electronic dot on a screen that has is backed by nothing and and i think you're right you where are the regulators well hey they know very well what's going on and so you've got the CFTC that will give you this illusion. Okay, so talking about gold for a minute. And, you know, okay, so there are position limit. There are position limits for individual traders. How do you get around it? Well, what you do is, is you're compliant on one reportable exchange like the COMEX. And this will, this will work for anything and anybody on any, on any level. But, but God, we'll just use gold as an example. And then you go to the over-the-counter markets, which are actually 10 times larger, the foreign exchange market, where there's probably 15 trillion of, of, of gold being traded around, uh, per, you, know, uh, you know, around the, 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 the FX uh, side of, of the gold market. So what happens is that you've got one side that's, re that's reported and position limits are X for, for gold and X for, for silver. But then you go to the over-the-counter market and take a 100 to 1 leveraged paper contract and call it legitimately the regulators look at that as a legitimate hedge 
for a paper contract on the COMEX. So you've got paper hedging paper. And, and so one side's reported and the other side isn't. And that's the game. And unfortunately, they have, I, I met with Andrew Bailey, who is the current, uh, who is the, obviously the current Bank of England governor. I met with him when he was the head of the FCA and said to him, hey guys, this is, this is gonna come down the pike again. We're gonna have, you're gonna have, what are you gonna do when the banks need bailing out again? Because this thing's gonna blow up in your face. You know, you've got the OCC, the Office of the Comptroller, not having to report, and you don't have to report anything if it, if it rolls over, any derivative if it rolls over in less than 14 days. Hang on a minute. What? You mean you can just roll it over for ad infinitum? So I bring that up to up. He said, what the hell? If there's one thing you should focus on, it is that. But no, nothing gets done. And so there's no regulation on one side, supposed regulation on the other. Everyone says, hey, we're in a regulated market. But you know it isn't regulated because one side you cannot see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, if there's like a cloak, you know, uh, you know, over the market and, you know, now with uh, all these meme stocks coming in and, you know, and GameStop uh, that pushing it up because the the Wall Street betters of the kids on Main Street wanted to stick it to Wall Street, um, you know, because they basically tried to raid the corporation. And you, you then you have a company like Robinhood um, who got fined, you know, there's $70 million for basically misleading their customers uh, because you know, they, they halted trading uh, because they didn't have enough capital. Uh, they, they didn't meet their capital requirements. And the CEO said that that wasn't the issue when it, re it really was the issue. Um, and those hearings in front of Congress are eye-opening because, you know, and then payment for order flow, which is an interesting game within itself. Um, how do you pay for order flow? Basically, I'm paying for, for to look at all of your inside information. And so I get to pay money to see that, but... I can actually benefit by that by paying for it. And somehow the, uh, the regulators at SEC thinks that's, that, that should be legal. Um, there's a lot of things that are, uh, that are advantageous. So when they're saying you're giving you free trades, you know, I think Robin Hood last year made 700 million uh, just on order flow. I mean, free trades? Wow. I mean, uh, you know, really, you know, somebody's paying. And, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're really taking care of the customer, you know, but what's their line into, in, into the market? That's the market maker. How fast and how good are those trade executions, you know, going to be? That's another story. But the, how, the, the reason we made this is, is how does this affect the ordinary person? Like the people that are not in the market, when, when the Federal Reserve continues to have these, um, abort monetary policies where the rates are, are, are basically zero and you got the 10 year bond trading, at I think one, six, four, something like that. Um, so, and then that affects obviously the housing market. The cost of capital is very cheap right now, but with 30% employment in the pandemic, how did everybody afford? I was curious, how does the housing market, I thought the housing market was going to go get sliced and all of a sudden we get 30% unemployment and boom, you got people 15 and 20 offers, you know, for every house across the country. So where did all this, you know, capital come from? They keep saying on the news that all this money is, you know, being put in the system from what you think for the government handouts, they think that 1200 or 1500 bucks twice is, is putting this money so people can buy houses and buy everything with it. That's a fallacy. Where is the money coming from? Because people can't buy houses on unemployment wages. So there, there's a big disconnect between, you know, Wall Street and Main Street. What do you think about this, Sean? There's a huge uh, disconnect. I mean, look, the, the idea of Wall Street, I think, is essential to capitalism. Right, the idea of uh, an IPO, the idea of being able to offer uh, stock to companies. What's fascinating to me, and I think this is almost like the next step, if we were going to do like a follow-up, really, is how you start to look because of public information at who owns the uh, the, the public these companies, public companies, right? And so there's a new documentary called Monopoly that just goes and just clicks on anything, you know, Nike, Coke, right? You name it, and it's all owned by basically the same 
entities, State Street, Vanguard, BlackRock, right? <clears throat> and uh, Berkshire Hathaway, right? And then these entities are themselves owning each other. You look at who owns BlackRock, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, I was like, at these other, you know, so you're sitting here going, well, we should really dissect what these, these entities are, right? These companies who owns, who owns BlackRock, you know, who are the, who's allowed to invest in BlackRock, you know, can, can, can most mainstream normal people uh, get, you know, can we, can we buy into BlackRock as a fund? I don't think so, right? Isn't there a buy-in price that would be in the hundreds of thousands, if not the millions to start buying in, right? So it's like, it's amazing how this, this is how the Gulf has, you know, how to say it's, it, it's a general, it's a gradual, it takes time to move away from the idea of, you know, what people think about capitalism. And then what you have is, I believe right now in the world, uh, a, a misunderstanding because they see how corrupt monopoly capitalism, I think you could call it as one, one expression, right, um, might be that how corrupt mon monopoly capitalism looks, right? And you see the, the these entities like, you know, the, the, the Facebooks or the Twitters and obviously how much, you know, power they're, they're, exu they're exuding. And then in media, it's the same. I mean, it was like 90% of the media is controlled by what, six companies, and now it's consolidating even smaller and smaller. You're getting Disney buying Fox, you're getting Amazon buying MGM, right? So you're getting your, your, your media getting more and more consolidated. It's across the board, it's global. I mean, the Swiss did a, a study on this back in 2013, showing it was essentially a, thou a thousand interlocking corporations that had the majority of the world's wealth in its, in its control. So I think a real, you know, an expose or, you know, a really interesting documentary would be going to that next step of, who are these people, you know, these, these, you know, the Rockefeller types, you know, the Rothschild, but then obviously deeper, you know, the people that finance the Soros's, right? The, who are they that are actually owning the planet at this point? And there is a disconnect between, you know, again, between the essence of what capitalism is about, which, you know, again, it, it, as a system, it's, it's like, it's, there's a healthy nature to a com competition, right? We understand there's a healthy, healthy nature to it, but some people are depressed by the capitalist system and how it they see, you know, the exploitative nature of it, the, the discrepancy, the extreme discrepancy between wealth that we're talking about. So then they say, well, we have to go to socialism, which ultimately will still serve those same major corporations, those same major ruling families, right? Because they are so in bed and so wedded to the government, as we saw last year, who stayed open the Amazons, the Whole Foods, right? The, the, the major corporations, while the mom and pop shops were the ones that were being shut down. So socialism is not the answer. And, and unfortunately people are buying that because they're seeing a problem, but they're missing that there's actually, there are more holistic solutions. And I think that might another, be another thing if we do another a sequel or whatnot to get into like really the big picture of who rules the world, but what are the healthier solutions, more organic holistic solutions, the idea of competition being integral to how a system needs to work and function if you, you know, cooperation and competition both, but you cannot have this light level of, of collusion between massive international corporations owning governments, essentially. I mean, look at, I think pharma is the great example right now where people think, people are sitting there still telling me that uh, the vaccines are free. I mean, can you imagine how, 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 how brain dead you have to be to actually say, yeah, the vaccines are free, they're giving them away. They're giving them away because let's see, the government is paying for it, which means the government's money is your money. It's taxpayer dollars. So you are basically subsidizing these vaccines that are now being mandated by the government. That's like the best business of all. <laughs> I mean, you can't ask for a better business, right? The government pays the, 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 the Pfizer's and the Moderna's and whatnot to develop these vaccines. Then they, then they, then they, they pay them for the vaccines. Then they mandate people to take the vaccines. That's a perfect business model. No wonder they're getting hundreds of billions of dollars in profit. Yeah, and then I, I, I'm, I recently read that Trudeau has an interest in the vaccine. He bought three times as many as was necessary for Canada, and he makes a profit off of every, uh, off of off of every vaccine, or EUA medicine, I should call it. Um, so, uh, I, I'm. It, it's really interesting, Sean, when you said something about this uh, monopoly. Because there's, you know, six major corporations own own all of the media companies, so that's a monopoly. But what you're really stating is that it, it appears like we, it's like not free market, a combination between free market capitalism and socialism. It's really an oligarchical system uh, because it's really run by an oligarchy. And, and, you know, in order to do that, there's an old saying, he who owns manufacturing owns the world. So America, we gave away our manufacturing base, I think, the NAPI agreement, I think, with, uh, with, uh, under President Clinton. And, uh, and then also, um, 
Phil Graham and Bill Clinton re- repealed the Glass-Steagall Act in 1999. And then, the, then on the back of that, the uh, Commodities Futures Modernization Act in 2020 allowed derivatives to be placed on you know, oil and gold and commodities, which never happened before, with unlimited risk. So, if, you know, I, I don't know. I think there was something like 2.3 quadrillion derivatives in the, uh, in the, in the world today. So, but there's always a, a counterparty risk. But what happens that people don't understand if the counterparty doesn't pay up, if one side defaults, the gross exposure still remains gross. So, you know, you're, you're talking about it, 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 it damaging uh, a lot of people. But, but like Sean said, um, if you're closing hardware stores and, and, and all kinds of, of small businesses and you're allowing, you know, Home Depot and Walmart and every department store stay open, you're basically systemically bankrupting the middle class. And if you're bankrupting the middle class, they become dependent on, you know, the government for them to live. And um, I think Richard Russell, there was an old saying that a government big enough uh, to give you everything you need is also big enough to take everything you have. So, you know, there, you know, and, and in the old, olden times, and they used to have a, a physical economy where they used to have a government national bank and the Congress used to vote on uh, infrastructure bonds that used to be bet out to the private sector at a discount. So they could get a, a you know education bonds, rail bonds, water bonds, bridge bonds, and, and they would bid it out to the private sector around the United States. And our American workforce would have a created a strongest manufacturing base in the world. They would they, they would create a great velocity of money. They would create a, a boon, an economic boon for people because they, it would keep the pre- people in the United States working while we built up our infrastructure to become the, the most powerful country in the world, they, they all of a sudden uh, decided against that model and, and, and gave it away. And, you know, before they had, you know, any income tax, you know, uh, privately, they had the greenback system, you know, by Lincoln and Henry Carey, you know, and then they, they, they don't teach the American system of economics anymore. They just teach you know, Aust- Austrian economics and Keynesian economics. Keynesian economics really runs on the premise that, you, I mean, you can't solve the problem of overlending and overspending with more overlending and overspending. That's a definition of insanity. And, and you're basically burning the dollar to the ground. And since no fiat, fiat paper money has ever lasted, really about 100 years, the U.S. dollar is long in the tooth. In the tooth. So, you know, the system... It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. This, the system will have to be reorganized, bankrupt or reorganized for a new system. And maybe that's why Janet Yellen increased the SDRs, the special drawing rights, to back the central banks up. And respectfully, the central banks own 98% of all the gold in their, in, in their vaults. So if there was an economic event, they would benefit. But there is, yeah, Jim McCurd's a, and a couple other uh, economists were stating, well, the only way out uh, for us to compete with China because they, they, they look to be wanting to back their digital currency or they're, they're already buying oil and gold in yuan, uh, oil, and, uh, oil and gold with the, the yuan. And it looks like they're making a move to back their currency to take over from U.S. hedge money. And if that happens, the only move for the United States would be to revalue the price of gold to monetize their own debt, which would also benefit China, but it would also it would also change the game in U.S. in the U.S. markets. But who would benefit? Two percent. No, big time. I mean, and and how much of the? I mean, look, you had uh, you, you, you had Mooney uh, recently uh, asked to to audit the Fed, and, and and again that fell on deaf deaf ears. And I think the reason I actually believe that out of these 8,300 tonnes that the, that the Fed has uh, rights to, I mean, the Fed doesn't own any physical gold. It holds gold certificates, obviously. Um, uh, they're issued to the Fed by U.S. Treasury and, and valued at, what, 42 bucks a piece. So, so basically, even assuming that this 8,300 tonnes isn't rehypothecated, which to me, I'm sure as hell it is, because when Germany came for its 300 tons out of this 8,300 tons sitting there, um, it was going to take seven years to give it back to them. 
They weren't even allowed to audit their, their, their own gold. They weren't even allowed to visit the vault. Hey, come on, you know, hang on a minute. We can ship 25 tons on a single flight. This could have been done in a week. I mean, so why seven years to repay these German assets? So something smells here. Something smells bad. So when you think China, probably we on the in this wholesale market, we deal with 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 uh, sovereigns. We're pretty sure China's got probably 25,000 tons of gold uh, unannounced, salted amongst the various state held banks. Could be with a click of a mouse. Could be uh, could be could be called in to back their currency. Um, if the if if the Fed wants to do the same thing, well, I don't even know if that if that gold is it's been lease swapped and God knows what. So I think we've got a real issue here. But I think one of the things I think what as Sean just said, I think you probably need to do a follow up as well. But but I think what the kind of person that's going to look at this movie, this this great movie, because I've seen you. I thank thank you for sending me a copy of it. Uh, a while back, even if it didn't have all the all the bits and frills, but but when I saw it, I thought to myself, "My goodness me, this is going to be looked at." This is about free speech. This is this is the you just talked about the the media, and it's like there, there's no free speech anymore. And and so what you're doing is people have to come to to things like this, and the kind of person that comes to this is the kind of person looking to take responsibility for themselves. And, and because that's really what this is all about. This is what we're all about. It's about trying to give people enough information to make their own decisions, because that's really what, what we're trying to do here. And, and without this information, how do you make a good decision? And I think, as I said before, I think the first decision you have to make, because bail-ins around the corner, we're about to have a massive explosion of the stock market. It cannot be valued at this level for much longer. What do you do, guys? You know, first thing to do, preserve your existing wealth, whatever that is, land, property, houses, whatever it might be, gold, silver, anything tangible. A Chinese, China is buying forests, land, infrastructure. What are we doing here? I mean, this is, a, this is a, 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 something that we need to act, and we need to act pretty quick. And I think what the kind of person that's going to come to this, to this movie is trying to take that step and you've cast that net out. And to me, that's what I really like about this. Thanks, Andrew. The, the, it's, the freedom is, I think freedom is, 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 is very important. And when you have some, you know, more finance, you can create yourself, you know, more freedom because, you know, in the, in the world today, you know, it appears like some of our, our freedoms are under, under assault. And, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the uh, the people that we've had in this film, Lynn Alden uh, from you know Lynn Alden, she's extremely extremely bright. Um, she has a, a you know a very pragmatic you know point of view about e economics and following the money. And then Nicholas Nico Goudard, who used to be the head of derivatives at Fortis Bank in London, who's a who is a PhD in actuarial mathematics. He he has a really a deep understanding about you know, how the, the bond market trades. And the, these, uh, I mean, I also learned a, a hell of a lot uh, by speaking to some of these extremely, uh, you know, knowledgeable people. But, you know, the, the thing that I believe we, we all have to remember is that, you know, truth and, and transparency and accountability as a human being, all of us must start claiming accountability and not blame our lives or not be going in any kind of a victim mentality because if we want to change the world, change the way you see it, we have to be accountable for our planet. We have to be accountable for our government. We have to be accountable uh, to, to, to make sure that we, we demand that our constitution is upheld. And all human beings must act like the president. They, we all must act like our own, own presidents and act with integrity and kindness and goodwill and charity. The, the you know the world is is going through a paradigm shift. It's now time, uh, and never before then, you know, to wake up and, and honor our own sovereignty and honor our our own spirituality. Because if, if this is an inflection point where we have to realize it's really individuality 
is an illusion. It's basically one consciousness, and we we cannot continue to be separated, you know, through our through the reactive mind because they put this garbage on the media. One side feeds into this, one side feeds into that. People react and they suck up all their energy. I shut that TV off, throw it out the window, and start meditating. And, and start getting in touch and start being related with your brothers and sisters and, and move forward in a, in, a, in, a, in a much more pragmatic where you're a unified consciousness for the benefit of all. That's so well said. And Sean, any closing comments? Because, uh, you know, what we, as I say, well, obviously we're going to put a link to this uh, movie. Uh, we're going to uh, obviously tell us, you know, exactly where it's going to be. Uh, uh, shown all those kind of things will be on there. We're so supportive of what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. But Sean, any closing comments? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really we are at this sort of uh, bifurcation moment, you know, within humanity, the splitting. Uh, I think that the uh, the vax mandates are really a clarification of this because it it seems to me that you're looking at um, uh, we, we know as a transhuman agenda. I mean, this is not a secret. This has been decades in the coming, and now they're really at that moment. Klaus Schwab has helped clarify this. You know, for people who think this is a conspiracy, the world that you know Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, the founder of it. Um, He's basically, you know, talked about how they want to merge. This is the fourth industrial revolution. They call it. We are looking to merge the human with the, the the machine, essentially, and to you know to control the digital, biological, and physical identity of the human being. So, where is this going to take us? It's going to take us to an interesting, you know, challenge, basically, for those who are still dependent or believing in the matrix. We're saying, well. You know, if I just get uh, the shot, I can go back to working, you know, at the whatever, you know, at the re- at the restaurant, at the pub, I can go back to shopping there. And you're basically not realizing that it's this is deeper than just going back to an old economy. This is actually saying, no, we should not be we have to make a choice with where we contract going forth. Where Who do we contract with? Where does our economy go? Where does our money go? Do we want to invest in and put money into people of, you know, of similar values and belief systems? Um, and I think this is what, you know, has to basically shift is, is from a world that is that is as de- an empire essentially dominated by, as Peter clarified, an oligarchy and an oligarchy that essentially wants humans to be as roboticized and controlled as possible. Um, and do you want to basically submit to that and basically sur- surrender your humanity to that? Or do you want to start shifting your economy, your wealth, your 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 energy, which is really what currency is? Currency is it's energy. So when people talk about money, I would just think it's energy exchange. Where do you want to exchange your energy? Do you want to exchange it with the global or, you know, the globalists, the global um, uh, corporations uh, that don't value human human beings or human life? Or do you want to shift your energy, which is your your money, your assets, your intention into um, contracting and agreements with people of, you know, similar values of, you know, similar intentionality, respect for each other, honoring each other. I mean, this is the way. I see where it's just going to be a gradual shifting and maybe it may be not gradual. Maybe it'll be rapid because uh, they could be, you know, obviously we know there could be crashes in the, in the process of the economy and all types of things that really force this in a more uh, immediate, urgent way. But you can't look at this whole pandemic lockdown and the pandemic crisis without realizing that you're looking at the death of a financial system. And I think this is the problem. People don't have the capacity to, to really see this as an economic shift that's trying that's working to take place. The great reset that the that the uh, World Economic Forum is promising to essentially reset you and turn you into a computer. <laughs> people think you know. People really think, oh, we just go back to normal. But they've been very clear. You know, Schwab and others have said there is going to go back to normal. They don't. They're not going to. They're not going to allow the economy to go back to what we thought was normal. It wasn't necessarily a healthy economy anyway. It wasn't a. It wasn't a healthy way of life. But if we can't shift into a better, healthier, more holistic way of being, then you will end up as a transhuman. You will end up, I believe, roboticized. Yeah, and you're talking about real people now, real people with, uh, as, and as Pete also says, you know, uh, this is this is about human beings interacting with human beings and 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 circumventing and having enough education to figure out, well, what do I do to take responsibility for ourselves? What do we do for our families, for ourselves? And it's, it's not a, it's not just a run about you know buying cans and guns and got, got it. It's not just about that. It's about it's about taking full responsibility financially and in every way. But please, um, we will. I, I want to ask everybody. Please get this movie out out there. 
follow the link, get it out there, tell everyone about it, because this is the first step where we can really see for the first time, I think this is actually going to cast that net out to people that have never, ever, ever seen anything or thought about things that, that are discussed here. And yet it's, some of it's technical, some of it's, you know, really to the heart. And so I would ask everyone, please share this and put it out there. The last thing I, I want to say is that, you know, that I believe in a, a, a new system, a new system based upon economics where you know all, all our, of our work goes into the preservation of the sacred Mother Earth, who has sustains all life for every sentient being on this planet, which is which is really being ignored. This per, this administration is doing nothing. They basically misled the entire public in their campaigns, like most uh, cabinets do. They're doing nothing to protect the planet. The only way to deal with it is to stop cutting down the rainforest in the Amazon. And, and because our ecosystem's thrown out of balance and the plants and animals, birds, bees, insects, and mammals are getting extincted at alarming rates and, and they're losing their habitats and you're, you're throwing the ecosystem out of balance. Mother Earth is always taking care of us, responsible for everything we have and everything we do. Uh, and we have to shift our conscience to start being in, in, in a symbiotic relationship with our planet. That's it. That's it. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. And there you have it. I told you this was going to be an exciting episode, and thank you so much. I can't wait to watch this premiere. I've got it bookmarked. We're ready to go. Uh, amazing, amazing. So that's all we have for you today on another fascinating episode of Live from the Vault. You'll find all the details about this new film and how to watch it. Just look for the information below, and we'll provide links. And please help us spread the word about this channel by liking, by sharing. Smash that subscribe button. Click on the bell notification if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. So with that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. Bye for now.